0: All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to have you here. Now, just for the record, there was more of you singing along with that than our previous worship song, so... I. Something wrong with that, or we're Lutheran, I don't know, one of the two. Well, good to have you here again this morning. We we love new people at Hope, and so if you're visiting today, want to welcome you, and even if this is your thousandth time, we are so glad uh, that you are here. want to welcome you aboard the SS Hope uh, here this morning. Uh, it's good to have you uh, on board. My name is John. I'll try to be your captain uh, this morning and point us in the right direction. Uh, you know, times have changed when it comes to television uh, a little bit, but times have not changed when it comes to... Storms. If the last few weeks are any indication, uh, the storms haven't stopped. And when I was looking ahead to this weekend and I saw that rain, what? Rain was in the forecast uh, for yesterday. I thought, how appropriate. Because we know that storms have existed long before uh, Gilligan and the Skipper, uh, the Skipper 2, on Gilligan's Islands. Because we know in our story... Today, that Jesus and his disciples, it doesn't say it in the Bible, but just for fun today, can we just imagine that Jesus and his disciples set out on the boat in the Sea of Galilee for a three hour tour? Can we just imagine that? It doesn't say it, but we can just kind of insert that in there. And Jesus and his disciples are out there, and just like the show, it ends up being a storm that would literally change their lives forever. And the same is true of us today storms either swallow us up. And overwhelm us, or we can let them change us. And I'm not just talking about storms at sea, or snowstorms, or thunderstorms. I wonder what kind of storms are you in the middle of today? Every single one of us walked in here in the middle of a storm, and I'm not talking about the things necessarily maybe we can see on the outside, but what's on the inside. Maybe uh, you've uh, had a loved one that recently got sick, or you yourself, and receive a, a diagnosis that you didn't want to hear. Some of you I know are experiencing job transition right now or the loss of a job. Some of you are in the middle of a relationship or a marriage and you're here today by yourself, to be honest, and you really wish that somebody else in your family, your spouse, would be here with you because you continue to hit wave after wave of discouragement and anger and frustration it's a child with behavioral issues an unexpected hit to your budget or to, to your car and maybe uh, make maybe make sure in the next few weeks you have flood insurance that would be a good thing right we find water in our basement we find a leaky roof our car breaks down whatever it is these unexpected things pop up and and, and that's and that's one thing that is on the outside and the, the things that we can see but it's another thing when there's the storms on the inside. Every single one of us walked in here this morning with that. Every single one of us walked in here this morning with, uh, with, with storms on the inside that we can't necessarily see, but at the same time, they're just as real. This constant insecurity that maybe some of you struggle with, the fear about the future, something with a child, whatever it is. We have these storms that rage on the inside as well. Shame and guilt over a past mistake, whether it was That mistake that you made in college or the one that you made last week, we carry that with us and the storms rage inside and sometimes we just push them down. An addiction that you feel like maybe you're fighting this morning on your own. The question then is not if the storms come, the question is when the storms come, how do you normally respond? When the storms come, how do you normally respond? Not all of us can make an island getaway our home like Gilligan's. Island. Because the reality is the way that we respond to the storms of our lives will determine the course of our lives. The way that we respond to the storms of our lives will determine the course of our lives. Storms make us or break us. And nobody knows that better than Jesus' own disciples. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to hop into the story from Mark chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull those out of your phone. encourage you to follow along. You can take out your phone right now. Go to your app store and don't wait another day. Download the you version. App. It is a super friendly Bible app, and then, you know, every week when you come to church, if you've got your phone, you've got your Bible. So everybody should have it in front of them. Super easy. So Mark chapter 4, we're going through the Gospel of Mark, this series called Miracle March. And the reason for that is that the book of Mark is full of miracles. Mark is trying to convey to us something powerful about Jesus, that Jesus is God. He's not just a good philosopher. He's not just a good religious figure or a teacher. Mark is a book of action. And there's three of the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that are called the Synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's kind of off in his own philosophical category uh, a little bit. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the Synoptic Gospels. And of the very few stories that are in each of those Synoptic Gospels, one of those stories is Jesus calming the storm. You might ask why, and I believe it's this, because that was a defining moment in the lives of the disciples. It was a defining moment for them, and we're about to find out why. So this morning we don't have the SS Minnow but we do have uh, this awesome boat that was created over here. Um, we don't have a boat on the stage every week but we do for, for, for this week that was created by our uh, our super creative creative team here uh, at Hope Des Moines. They also created all the, uh, all the, the um, pictures and the paintings that are around you. Each one of these pictures representing a different story that we're going to go through uh, in this series uh, of Mark and then John coming up in the book of April as we go through this year. But the reason the boat's up here because it's also really the story of Lent. If you want to come up after the service and look at the amazing detail in it that they put in, it's Jesus looking across across the hills into Jerusalem. And that's really what this season of Lent is all about. These 40 days leading up to Easter, Jesus is looking at the path ahead of him. And that's really what Lent is all about, is going on a journey with Jesus to his life, death, And resurrection. And so that's what this season that we're in. And so we're gonna hop on board the boat this morning with Jesus. And we pick up the story in chapter four. So if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter four, we're gonna start in verse 35. So to give you a little context for this story, the reason that Jesus' disciples are in a boat is that this is kind of Jesus' last ditch effort to get away from the crowds a little bit. Jesus is teaching, not from a stage with a podium and lights. Jesus is teaching from a boat. That's right. That is his stage for the day. He's teaching from a boat because the crowds have grown. Jesus has been busy. He's been teaching all day. He's been healing. There's been all sorts of miracles taking place. And so Jesus, the crowds keep following him. And like he just gets backed up all the way to the shoreline. And the last place that he can go to teach is a boat. And so Jesus is standing literally in the boat, like, I don't know how he's keeping his balance, and a few of his disciples are there with him, and the crowds have gathered on the beach. And then the best part of the story is is this. Jesus initiates the escape plan, okay? This is one of the few texts in the Gospels that, as a fellow introvert, I resonate with, and Jesus had just had it with people for the day, okay? You can take heart in that if you just get peopled out sometimes. Jesus was tired. Just sit on that for a second. Jesus was overwhelmed. He was tanked. Sometimes I think we have a hard time identifying with Jesus because we're like, well, he's fully God, isn't he? Well, yeah, but often we forget he was fully human, and he's walked in your shoes, and he knows what it's like to get an hour or less of sleep, right? He knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to be exhausted, and one of the things I love about Jesus, he's like, If his goal was to be famous, he would stay there all day. The crowds would have listened to him all day. And his goal wasn't to do more miracles and be famous. His goal was to save our souls. And so Jesus like, i got to conserve my energy. I've had it, and I need to invest in my disciples. And so he says, let's take off across the lake. So this is just a little nugget here that I don't want you to miss in the story. One of the things I love about Jesus is that he has what we like to call emotional health. He has emotional intelligence. And if you just get to the storm and the big part of the story, you'll miss that. Jesus has boundaries. Jesus has boundaries. And what I mean by that, what I mean by emotional health, is that Jesus doesn't let the expectations of others primarily define his priorities. Some of you are living purely for the expectations of others. What are other people going to think? What are my coworkers going to think? What is my mother-in-law going to think, right? What are my friends going to think? What are my parents going to think? What are my kids going to think? What are, what are the, other, the other kids at school, parents going to think if I don't join all the traveling teams and, and bust my kids around like crazy? What's going to happen? Do you have enough emotional intelligence to say, I can't do that because it's killing my soul. I can't run around like crazy. I can't keep going and that's what Jesus models for us here. Jesus was the smartest person to ever live as a human. He has emotional health. One of the many things I love about Jesus. So back to the story. Jesus says, I'm out, right? I can't, I can't keep teaching. I can't keep doing this. And so they take off across the lake. And that leads us to verse 37 in the story. It says this, a furious squall. Everybody say squall. squall. A squall It's a fun word to say came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly Swamp. So, not just a storm, but a furious squall. And Jesus and the disciples are in the boat. Now, to give you a little context about the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee sits below sea level. I know it's weird to think about a a sea sitting below sea level, but it is below the level of the ocean. And And so, Jesus and the disciples are there. And because of this, storms were known to come up pretty suddenly on the Sea of Galilee. Not only is it below sea level, but it's surrounded by mountains. And so, you know, when you live around mountains, that the that the weather is changing all the time, right? Depending on what's going up there, the winds would sweep down over top the mountains and down into the Sea of Galilee, and so that this was a pretty normal thing. And so a squall came up. Now a squall, just so you know, is defined as a sudden sharp increase in wind speed, which is usually associated with rain, thunderstorms, and damaging winds. Okay, so this is an intense. Storm okay, and Jesus' disciples are out there. And Luke's account, right, that also tells the story, even adds the lives of the disciples were at stake, the lives of the disciples were in danger. Why is that an important detail? They were fishermen, right? If they they deal with this all the time, they are professional. Storm chasers, okay? They're out on the Sea of Galilee all the time. They're fishermen. They do this for a living, and they are freaked out. The storm must be bad. I mean, this, this would be like a professional handyman plumber showing up at your house because your sink sink uh, leaks, and he looks under at the pipes and goes, oh, man, I, I, I just can't do it. I'm freaking out, okay? That's what's going on here. This is an intense storm. But now, one of the best parts of the story, look at verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. What? Jesus was sleeping. I love the, the, the detail, on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? So not only is Jesus taking a break, he's taking a nap. And if you've ever needed further evidence, if you are exhausted at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, right? If you ever need proof, Jesus took naps and one of the most holy things you can do to take care of your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, is take a nap. Amen? Amen? You might need one this afternoon, all right, after getting up this morning, okay? Jesus took naps. So the disciples go down, and they wake up Jesus, and they say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus, don't you know what's going on here? Things are out of control. And it's not just that the disciples are freaking out. They're literally questioning the heart of God. You ever ask that question? We probably haven't been in a storm at sea, but I think in our own hearts, maybe not out loud, but in our own hearts and minds, we're asking that question all the time. Jesus, where are you? Like you claim to be God, and yet you're in the boat with me, like you're in my life, I'm following you, I'm a Christian, I have a relationship with you, and yet the storms are raging all around me. Jesus, don't you care about my marriage? Jesus, don't you care about my budget? <laughs> Jesus, don't you care about my job that I just lost? Jesus, don't you care about my relationship with my children? Jesus, don't you, where are you? I think we ask that question a lot. How, how do you normally respond to the stresses of life? How do you normally respond when the storms are raging around you? And I was thinking about this in terms of how we respond normally to the storms of our lives. As I think about myself, and try to be as honest as I can about it. I think there's some ways that we respond to storms as I look at people around me, as I, as I, I watch online, because isn't it interesting that people, they, they don't know when they post something on social media that they're really sharing it with the entire world. Like, I won't share it in a small group of six other people at church, but I'll just put it out there on Facebook, right? And that's so interesting, right? And so a good gauge of where people are at sometimes is what they post on social media. And I look at that, I listen to the people around me that I meet with, I look inside my own heart, and I think there's a few common reactions that we have to the storms of our lives. And honestly, it says a lot about where we're grounded, what our foundation is by how we respond to stress by how we respond to the challenges that come our way. And so I I think the first thing that the disciples uh, demonstrate here is they freak out. Everybody say, "Freak freak out. Freak out. We do that, right, if we're honest, right? Now, there is a time and a place for being shocked. Some of you have had things happen in your life over the last couple of years, and it was an absolute shock. Some of you are going through that right now. I know for a fact there are some people in our church, in our community, that are just absolutely shocked at something that happened, whether a big thing or a small thing. And we freak out. The problem is, though, in our processing of the storms of our lives, a lot of times we stay there, and we freak out, and we become worry warts. And at the risk of sounding cheesy, you realize it doesn't, it doesn't really do anything for me, right? Being Worrying is a lot like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. You didn't get that. You'll get it on the way home, okay? It doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't do anything, right? But we become worry and we freak out. And what we do is that when we become constant worriers, we end up putting that stress on everybody around us. Do you know those people in your life, whenever you're around them, you just feel anxious? Because they're always rushed and they're always busy and they're always, what am I going to do, right? One of the greatest gifts as Christians that we can give to the rest of the world is to have peace in the middle of the storm not even by saying anything, but by how you live your life. Yes, it's really difficult, but I don't have to freak out. And that doesn't work, and we don't want to be rocking chairs and never get anywhere. So oftentimes, if freaking out doesn't work,ing we try the next thing. And we, we don't consciously do this, but it's something called moralism. Now, that's a big word, but essentially what it is is that we attach our behavior to our circumstances. That's the short way of saying it. I'm going through this challenge. I must have done something to tick off God. We've never said it out loud, but how many of you have thought that in the depths of your heart? I must have done something wrong. God, what did I do to wrong you? God, do you, do you have, God must be angry with me. I must have done something to offend God because things have been going really bad. And conversely, the danger of that, we think that if things are going really well for us, that somehow we've earned God's approval. Well, we have already talked about that this morning. You can't. If we can't earn grace, if we can't earn his love we already have, then it can't be the opposite. We start thinking weird things like, well, maybe if I go to church more, or maybe if I pray more, read my Bible more, then things will go better for me. The problem is we forget that God's God. He's not Santa Claus. It's not a naughty or nice thing. It's a grace thing. We get what we don't Deserve And you start reading, especially through the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus says it himself, the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. The problem with moralism as a response to the challenges and the storms of our lives, it's not in the Bible. So we have to check our heart in that. If none of those responses work, then we move to the next thing and we can kind of become a cynic. I think I spelled that right. Yeah. That's we become cynical. Nobody sets out to be a cynic. Nobody sets out and say, I'm going to be bitter as an adult, right? But after a while, life just does that to us. We we engage ourselves. We put our hearts out there. We try new things only to get burned. I put my heart out there for a relationship, right? And then a divorce happened. I, I gave myself to this person for 10, 15, 20, 25 years, and then it all came crashing down. I tried this dating relationship and I got burned. I, I, tried, a, I tried a small group at church once, and somebody said something and it offended me, so I'm out. I'm not going there. I'm not going to be vulnerable again because somebody made me mad. And so you just kind of, you don't, you little by little, you become bitter, but you become bitter at the world, and most dangerously, you become bitter at God. And one of the marks of a cynic is that we start to live life in this way that when the storms come, we catch ourselves in our heart thinking and believing things like, that always happens to me. Yeah, this would happen. When it rains, it pours, you know, slips back into moralism. God must have something out for me. And the problem with being a cynic that maybe you've discovered and harboring that bitterness, it's an exhausting way to live, isn't it? But some of you are living that way because the storms have come time and time again and you don't realize it, but you become a cynic. And that's the filter, that's the lens through which you live life. And most dangerously, it steals our joy. You don't realize, you can't remember the last time you had genuine joy in your life because of the storms upon storms upon storms. But it's not necessarily any of those that the disciples do in the reaction. Yes, they freak out. But there's something else that they do that I think that we seldom name, but we minimize God. We minimize who God is. Minimize a lot of things, but we don't want to minimize God. You see, if Jesus is simply a good teacher (laughs) or our buddy (laughs) or a nice religious figure, when the squall comes, the disciples are done for. Because there's storms all around us. So what do you do when the storms are raging? And it doesn't work to freak out. It doesn't work to kind of twist God's arm. It doesn't work to be a cynic while we minimize God and we forget who we're dealing with. The disciples forgot who was in the boat with them, the one that created the sea. And so back to verse 39, we read this. After getting up from his nap, verse 39 Jesus got up, and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Quiet, be still. The wind died down, and it was perfectly calm. The storm was hushed, or the Greek word here for still is pefamoso. Everybody say pefamoso. It's kind of a hard one to say. It's because it's only used Once. In the entire Bible, pefemoso literally means silenced or muzzled. Jesus muzzled the storm. We don't use that word a lot, but I don't know what you think of, but I think of like a wild animal, right? I think of like a bear or a wolf or a wild dog, right? That has its mouth muzzled. What does muzzling do? It takes away the sting, it takes away the bite. There is no power there anymore. Jesus muzzled the storm. It has no power anymore. Jesus muzzled it. And can I just say this, that when I'm in the storms of life, I don't know about you, when I'm going through whatever I'm going through or whatever's going to come your way in the next week or month or year, I'm not really interested in positive thoughts or people sending good vibes. I hear that a lot. I'll be praying for you and sending good vibes your way. I don't know what that means, but when I'm going through the storms, I need something way more than positive thoughts or good vibes. I need Jesus in my boat. Amen? Amen. That's what we need. I need the one that can muzzle the storms. I need way more than positive, optimistic thoughts. Jesus muzzled the storm. Now, it would be very easy to stop right there and say, that's great. Jesus calmed the storm. Just pray to him. Just try a little bit harder to go to church and pray a little bit more, and Jesus will calm every storm in your life. Sermon done, right? The problem is, that's not real life, is it? There's a couple of details that are interesting that they go together in this story. The disciples got in the boat with Jesus, and a storm started. If you're living in moralism, that doesn't make sense, right? If I get in the boat with Jesus, it should get easier. I should have safe passage, right? But if maybe some of you have learned, I don't know about you, sometimes when you start following Jesus, life gets harder, life gets more challenging. Read the Bible. Anybody that God used in a significant way was wounded, experienced pain, experienced suffering. It's the opposite of moralism. Sometimes when I start following Jesus, life gets more difficult. Worth living? Yes. Absolutely satisfying? Yes. Ultimately fulfilling? Yes. Nowhere else I'd rather be? Yes. Easier? No. That's been my experience. I don't know about you, right? Jesus didn't come and offer us a safe and comfortable life. He offered us an all-satisfying life, a life that matters. And that's the problem that we see. We think that we get in the boat with Jesus and the storms are going to go right over the top of us. But what the disciples learn, and maybe Jesus' point in the miracle isn't to show us that all of our storms are going to go away. It's to remind us of who's in the boat with us. To remind the disciples and to remind us that the presence of a storm does not equal the absence of God the presence of a storm does not equal the absence of God because look again what Jesus says right after the storm he said to his disciples he doesn't freak out on them (laughs) he doesn't shame them he doesn't yell at them he simply says to his disciples why are you so afraid Sometimes I have this dream that while I'm preaching up here, sometime, this, I guess Jesus is going to come back during church and he's just going to come walking in back there. He's going to walk up to the stage and I'm be like, I'm out, it's all yours, right? And he's going to come up. And sometimes I imagine Jesus just coming in. What if he walked up to you this morning? Not, not in judgment or condemnation, but he just looked at you right in the eyes with those eyes that can see right through you, past all your insecurities and your walls that you put up? And what if Jesus came to you and looked you in the eyes this morning and honestly asked you, why are you so afraid? How would you respond to that? <coughs> I, 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 I guess I don't need to be anymore now that you're here, right? Some of you are so afraid. You live with a constant state of fear and stress and anxiety. It's all of those things. And then he says, do you still have no faith? Do you still have no faith? I know that it's easy to hear that, and some of you hear that this morning. Jesus say, you need to increase your faith a little bit, and it's easy to hear that and think, okay, I need to have more faith for Jesus, and if I'm going through a storm in my life, and, I, and the next time I experience a storm, I'll try harder, and I'll do better to not freak out. I'll even hear people say like, oh, John, you have such a strong faith or they're talking about somebody else that's a Christian. They have a strong faith, but I don't really have a lot of faith and I wish I had more faith like them and they have a strong faith and it becomes this weird competition where all of a sudden it's like a merit badge competition. Like I have more faith than them, right? If I can increase my faith, faith is never about you. It's always been about him. One of my favorite Christian authors, Brennan Manning, wrote a great book called Ruthless Trust that I would highly recommend. He says this, like faith and hope, trust cannot be self-generated. I cannot simply will myself to trust. What an outrageous irony. The one thing I'm responsible for throughout my life, I cannot generate. The one thing I need to do, I cannot do. But such is the meeting of, get this, radical dependence. Boy, if that doesn't fly in the face of everything our culture says about what do what's best for you in radical independence, right? Radical dependence, what does lie within my power is paying attention to the faithfulness of Jesus. Jesus isn't telling the disciples in the boat to muster up more faith and positive thoughts, he's asking them, Did you forget who's in the boat with you? Not, Come on, disciples, get more faith you can do it. Pull yourself up. Pull yourself together. He's saying, look at me. Don't look at you. Look at me. Don't look at you. Look at me. And that's because faith is not measured in strength. Faith is measured in surrender. Some of you are going to need to chew on that one for a while because it's opposite of everything that you've been taught. Faith is not measured in strength. It's measured in surrender. It's keeping my eyes on Jesus. And I wonder if Jesus says the same thing to you this morning. It's about surrender. Why? Because God's after your heart. He's after your heart. (laughs) The word faith that Jesus uses, why do you have no faith, literally means trust. It's the Greek word pistis, and it literally means trust. In other words, faith is not purely an intellectual exercise. Faith is always an act of obedience. Faith moves to action. I can't just say, God, I believe in you. It's not faith unless there's trust. Pistis. Jesus, I trust you fully. I'm putting it into action. In the middle of the storm, Jesus is most concerned with their hearts. Do you trust me? Reminds me Of a story, I think it was, uh, it seems like it was four years ago because of the winter that we've had, but I think it was in January. And so I'm uh, not out in the boat uh, in a storm, but uh, the storm was coming. I went with our five-year-old Caleb to, uh, I think it was Valley of Mall, doesn't matter, one of the malls, but it was full. It was one of those days, you know, that we've had in the last couple months where it could be 55 or it could be negative 55 and in a half an hour it could change. Well, it did, uh, one of those days. And so it was sunny and it was probably 38 and so it was a heat wave. So we get to the mall and you know how when you go into a mall, you just kind of want to leave your coats in the car because you don't have to carry them around and you get hot, sunlight hey, buddy, let's just leave our coats here. It'll be fine. It's sunny. The wind's not blowing. Everything's great. So we go in, do some shopping. Half an hour later, we come back to the front vestibule of the mall, and it is a blizzard. Like, literally. Like, remember those days where I just, like, it just turned on a dime, and the wind's blowing, and the snow's blowing around, and the temperature has dropped, and schools are letting out, all these sorts of things. And <laughs> my five-year-old Caleb looks up to me and goes, Daddy, um, where's my coat? And I go you know what, buddy? It's in the car. Isn't that awesome? And then he up, looks up at me with these eyes and goes like that. Just looked at me like that, right? So I'm like, well, we're going to have to make a run for it. Like it is literally a blizzard and the, the parking lot is packed and the cars are starting to, to fill up with snow. And so I just grab him. Like I've never held him so tight because it's getting icy. And if I slip, I don't want him to like There goes my son flying across the parking lot, you know, so he's tucked in like this and I'm protecting him so we don't get frostbite and uh, we're running through the parking lot. I just, I got to make a run for it. And So I take off and I'm running through the lanes of traffic where I think my car is, but our van is like beige and so every car is beige because it's snowy and it's muddy and so every car is like brown and I'm running through and I'm I'm thinking as every car is passing by, I'm like, yep, the van's going to pop up any moment, any moment it's going to come as I've got my son, woo, right? We're going around and then I realize I have no idea where our van is. I have no idea where our car is, right? I am literally wandering around, right? And so Caleb's like, Dad, what are we doing? He's freaking out. So I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? I sucked up every ounce of pride and stubbornness as a man and I went back inside. I just made a run for it back to the vestibule, and we come in, and we are like sopped because it's that wet, slippery snow, kind of like yesterday, and I come in. I have like icicles in my beard, and we're sopped, and my son, and we come in, and we stop in the vestibule, and these two elderly ladies are standing there, and she goes, oh dear, are you okay, sir? And I'm like, yep, we're awesome. We're great. We're, we're doing really well, and Caleb's like, "Ooh, you know, like they about to fall over. I'm like, we're just getting ready to Just getting ready to make another run for it out there. Just give it another go, you know, give it another chance out there, right? It's like, oh, dear, right? And so I grab him, and I finally, we make a run for it. I come to my senses. I remember where my car is. I remember as I'm running back through the blizzard, You remember that scene in Forrest Gump where he's like, the rain was coming down from top. It was sideways rain. Sometimes it felt like the rain was coming right up from underneath you. You know, like the snow was coming from everywhere. Like there was this blizzard, and I'm running through, and Caleb's right in my ear, and I'm holding him so tight, and I can just hear this high-pitched scream going, Daddy! It's like running through, right, right in my ear. And I knew it wasn't a, it wasn't the kind of a scream of like, Dad, I don't trust you. Like, I'm freaking out. It was like, I am so cold. Like, Dad, what are you doing? And I know because we get back to the car and I, I get him in the, in, in the car seat and I, I'm apologizing. I don't know what I said, but something defective. Buddy, I am so sorry, but I want you to know I was doing everything I, I could to get us back to the car. I am so sorry. And I knew that he trusted me because like in this like shivering voice, he goes, I know, like that. And that's when it hit me. As his dad, there is nothing I long for more than his trust. I mean, he may be in his teens or late 20s someday, and he's in counseling with some repressed memory of this blizzard (laughs) and running around in empty parking lot. That's fine. If we have to do counseling, that's fine. It's a good thing. You should all do it, right? But I think what would crush me is if he said, Dad, I don't trust you anymore. Even in that whole episode, in that whole storm, I don't think there was ever a moment in his little heart that he looked at me and said, I don't believe your heart for me is good. I wonder if when Jesus puts a couple kids on his lap in the Gospels and says, this is what faith looks like, I wonder if that's what he means, because I learned all that from a five-year-old. Childlike faith, childlike trust I believe his heart for me never wavered and as a father I have to believe that there is nothing that stirs the heart and affections of your heavenly father like his sons and daughters saying dad I trust you no like I really trust you not intellectually like I go to church and it's a good religious thing to do no like I trust you to carry me through the storms of life that your heart towards me is good I don't I don't doubt that. And I'm not going to give way into being a cynic or bitter. I'm not going to play games with you, God. Cuz what we realize is that God's ability to provide for us does not depend on our ability to understand how. God's God. His ability to provide for us and get us through the storm does not depend on us understanding how it's going to happen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 says we walk by faith and not by sight. And that's really easy to say, "Yeah, we walk by faith and not by sight. What if you actually had to do that? And I was thinking about that. The only people that really get a true glimpse of that in a physical sense are people that literally have no sight. So I want you to watch this story about Alyssa, who, not only is an incredible believer in God, she can't see. Watch Alyssa's story. We Yeah, you can clap for that. Absolutely. We walk by faith and not by sight. Gives us a whole new meaning to that verse, right? In the the face of her pain and her frustration and her storm that she's living in, she doesn't give way to bitterness and become a cynic. She doesn't let her limitations get the best of her. She leads worship right in the middle of her storm. Having faith is not some naive idea because I love how she says, I know that my parents are there because I can hear their voice guiding me throughout the day. I know that they're there because they've provided for me time and time again. And maybe just maybe that's the way that God designed it for us with him as our father as well. You see, the disciples were afraid because they had the illusion of control. And that's what we have as adults. I love Alyssa's story. There is no illusion. She knows she's not in control. She is in complete utter dependence on somebody else every single day. Maybe that's what God had in mind as well. We walk by faith and not by sight. So I just want to leave you with, instead of those common responses to the storms, three quick responses that I believe are are a little bit more healthy, a little bit more biblical. The first one is this, is change your filter change your filter. What do I mean by that? Every single one of us has a filter, not just in your car or in your window, but we have a filter of the way that we view life. And our default is when the storms come to go to our default filters. Well, I always freak out. Well, I always blame God. I always blame somebody else. I always worry. What if you changed your filter to the unchanging, timeless truths of God's word? Because what the Bible does is it reinterprets the storms of life for us. It puts our sin and darkness and evil in their place. Like they don't get the final word anymore. That's the power of God's word. Secondly, when we respond to the storms of life, we don't travel alone. We don't travel alone. Who's in your boat with you? Yeah, I know Jesus is in your boat, but who are your traveling, who's your shipmates? (laughs) Who's traveling through the storms of life with you? Proverbs 17, 17 puts it, friends love through all kinds of weather and stick together in all kinds of trouble. Proverbs isn't talking about shallow acquaintances or your social buddies or superficial groups, talking about friends. Who's in your boat when the squall shows up? Who's going to stay in your boat when the storms come? That's how you know who your friends are. Who's your friends? Who's your traveling companions? That's why we're doing this life group experience here tonight. Are you going to show up and make, you know, your best friend for life? Probably not in one night. But if you stick it out, and if you give people the grace to stick it out and to show up and to be vulnerable, you'll experience the power of community. You don't have to travel alone. And last but not least, how do we cope with the storms of life? We live with the end in mind. We live with the end in mind. What do I mean by that? All of us have seen a movie that along the way you're freaking out. Maybe it's a scary movie. Maybe it's one where the the hero or the heroine is in danger and you don't know what's going to happen. And you get to the end of the movie, and it's like a nail-biter, and then in the end, all is made right. They save the day. They win. There's victory, whatever it is. Now, you may not want to watch that movie again, but if you did, it would be a completely different experience watching it for the second time. Why? Because you know the ending. And some of you are in the middle of a storm right now, and you don't know what to do. Live with the end in mind. Don't forget, Jesus muzzled the storm. (laughs) If the disciples go out fishing with Jesus and a storm comes up again, do you think they'll respond a little bit differently? Hey, Jesus, you know, there's a, you know, Category 5 hurricane out there. Do you think you could do the whole calm in the storm thing again? That'd be awesome, right? We live with the end in mind. Jesus muzzled the storm. For us, he's not only muzzled the storm, he's muzzled the power of sin and death. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Muzzled. <laughs> the worst thing that this world could ever throw at you, your own death, Jesus has muzzled it. He's taken the sting out of death. He's taken the sting out of Whatever it is, right? And that death doesn't have the final word. And if death doesn't have the final word, then cancer doesn't have the final word. And your divorce doesn't have the final word. And no broken relationships don't have the final word. And your depression and your insecurities and your stress don't have the final word. All because of who's in your boat. It's not the power of positive thinking, it's the power of gospel thinking and believing it. Pistis, trust, get in the boat with Jesus and realize he hasn't left Jesus, the storm crasher. So we can live with hope today, and we can hold on to hope. Just hold on. Every time I think about those words, I think about a scene from one of my favorite movies when Tom Hanks and his friend Wilson are braving a giant storm, because what kind of boat do you have if you don't have Wilson with you, right? Don't ask me where I found this. I made it this morning. No, I didn't. Every boat needs a Wilson. Every boat needs somebody with you in the storm. And if you know anything about the movie, Tom Hanks gets stranded on this island. He stays there for years. And finally, he decides, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go right into the teeth of the storm. And I'm going to put up my sail. And I'm taking Wilson with me. And I'm going to go. And right before he goes, you'll hear in the clip, just hold on, Wilson. Just you hold on. I'll do all the paddling. Just you hold on. I don't know what storm you're in today. Just hold on. Let's take a look. Someday, and I don't know when it's going to be, if it's going to be tomorrow, if it's going to be a month from now, years from now, or maybe on the other side of heaven, you're going to look back at the storms, at the waves that are behind you, and it's going to be smooth sailing. And God's going to look at you with those eyes, those same eyes that Jesus looked at the disciples. And he's going to say, why were you so afraid? We did it. I think we did it. I think we made it. He's going to look at you and say, we made it. You didn't think we would. Why are you so afraid? And you made it not because Wilson was in your boat with you, because the storm crasher was in your boat with you. And yes, the hurricanes and the storms and the winds are going to come, but his love is like a storm. It's like a wave that's come crashing to you this morning. It's for you, it's here this morning, and it's real. His love and his grace and his mercy, his provision, it's like the the gale-force winds of a hurricane that are coming. His love for you is fierce. So let's not just talk about it this morning. Let's stand and let's sing of this fierce love that God has for us.